is the Under Center Podcast. And you're welcome back to the second part of the Under Center Podcast. Darren Jake here with you, and we are delighted to be joined by Sam Monson from PFF. Sam, it's the first chance we've had to speak to you uh, on the start of this new season. How have you been? Good, good. It's uh, it's been a pretty fun ride already. Um, <laughs> after the first three weeks, some pretty crazy results. Um, you know, different things than everybody was expecting. But yeah, another fun football season. Definitely, definitely. Um, as always, it starts off, and we have so many things to talk about. Um, we'll get through a few of them there today. But um, is there been any sort of standout sort of storyline or narrative to you that you've been? you know, kind of, uh, I wouldn't say shocked by, but has sort of surprised you so far? I think Miami being as good as they look right now through three weeks is is pretty surprising and, and maybe the story of the season so far. Um, obviously, the addition of Tyreek Hill, Mike McDaniel, the head coach, the changes that they made on the offensive line, and now Tua looking really good at quarterback so far, that's all come together in a way that I didn't think was necessarily going to happen right away and you know so many teams went crazy this offseason in terms of adding players you know adding key pieces and getting better Miami was a team that I felt in the offseason they might have done some really good things but they felt like a team that maybe didn't do quite enough and you know would be on the outside looking in versus some of these other really good teams but certainly for uh, the first three weeks, like they look absolutely legit. And if they're able to win again this week, you know, on Thursday night, get a win against a Bengals team that, you know, desperately needs it. All of a sudden, the, I think the conversation about Miami changes and we're not talking about, you know, surprising team and, and how well they're, they're doing and can they make the playoffs? Like at that point, we're talking about Buffalo, the road to winning that division goes back to to beating Miami. Like it, the whole dynamic, I think changes. Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, in the off season, they obviously had to tell you kill. And then you, you mentioned how good Tua has become over the, the, at least for the first start of the season. But um, remember just maybe a month ago, there was a tweet going out about a wobbly pass that Tua threw and the whole internet blew up how Tua was a terrible quarterback. And then Tyreek comes out and says, oh, he's a great quarterback. He throws the ball to me every time. Perfect spin and all this sort of stuff and now all of a sudden the narrative has changed he's, he's playing great it's just it's typical sports i think uh that flip flip side yeah and i don't even think that you know tua is we always try and work out sort of who gets the biggest piece of the pie when you're talking about blame or about credit for for something turning around so you've got tua you've got tyreek hill you've got the offensive line you've got mike mcdaniel all these uh additions or changes and you're trying to work out sort of what's the biggest reason I think Tua is like third or fourth on that list in terms of why Miami is better than they look like they were going to be. I think you probably give more credit to Mike McDaniel. I think you give more credit to Tyreek Hill and the impact he has on that offense. So Tua is definitely playing better, but I think a huge part of that is more like this is the first time he's had a viable supporting cast relative to the previous years, as opposed to, you know, he's so much better than he's been in the past. Yeah, and sort of one team um, that probably would have thought or would have hoped or expected, you could say, um, they would be in a sort of similar position to Miami, the Denver Broncos. Now, they are still 2-1, and one, so it's not exactly as if they're having a disastrous year, but the, um, the offensive uh, promise or the offensive expectations that uh, we would have had at the start of the season just sort of haven't been there uh, so far yet. 
No, they haven't. And the big question is whether that's just, you know, the inevitable teething problems of uh, so many new things, you know, Nathaniel Hackett, a new offense, Russell Wilson, a new quarterback, um, or whether that is like going to be a long-term problem there. And this whole Russell Wilson thing just isn't going to work the way people thought it would. Um, and I'm not hundred percent sure where I come down on that yet. I, I kind of went all over the place on Russell Wilson to Denver over the course of the off season when they made the move, you know, obviously it's, it's an exciting change. It's a big upgrade over Drew Locke and, and what they had there before, but it did feel like there was a pretty good chance that the problems in Russell Wilson's play being married to this Nathaniel Hackett offense, were not always going to mesh that well. And the longer it went on, I kind of soured on the idea more and then very just before the season started, I, I ended up sort of thinking, well, actually, the, the gap between Drew Locke and Russell Wilson is so huge that like that's the most important thing here. And he'll be better and there'll be a, a playoff team and they'll you know be contenders anyway, just because that's such a huge difference. Um, but actually, I think the, the sort of first instinct may have been more correct that this whole, you know, there's a reason that Russell Wilson um, – was never quite given the same responsibilities and free reign in Seattle that a lot of other quarterbacks that were as good as he was should have had. And, and people kind of put that down to, well, Pete Carroll's just a dinosaur of a coach and all this kind of stuff. But actually, I think there's a degree to which, you know, Russell Wilson is the architect of some of his own troubles. And that doesn't go away just because you change environment and change team that he's on. Yeah. And is there a chance here with, and I've talked about it on the show as well. And, you know, being a Seahawks fan, I kind of, I'm a little, no, probably know a little too much about how Russell Wilson is and uh, with the team and stuff like this, but the way his sort of, you know, public persona has become the last few years um, and the way he sort of has publicly said that he wants to take a, like be more of a um, leader um, in teams, coupling that with like, that a rookie head coach and Nathaniel Hackett, could you think maybe Hackett's authority could be undermined a little bit? Maybe he's so keen to like get this to work that he'll give Wilson whatever he wants, maybe to the detriment of the team. I don't think that's really where the issues are. I think it's more um, Russell Wilson plays the game in an unusual way. You know, he's not like other quarterbacks, and that's a good thing most of the time because he's capable of making spectacular plays. He's capable of he might be the best deep ball thrower in the NFL, all those kinds of things. Um, and when he's playing at his best, it's, it's really good. But that style of play means it's difficult for coaches to match what they do with what he does really well. You know, when Aaron Rodgers is playing really well, the, the match with the offense is seamless. There's no sort of tweaking that needs to be done. He just fits in perfectly and everything complements each other. When Russell Wilson is playing even at his best, it still doesn't necessarily fit the way the offense is supposed to be run. And I think it's difficult for coaches to figure out how best to modify their systems to really get in sync with what Wilson does best and where he struggles a little bit. And I, I think Seattle probably went through several coaches trying to figure that out. I think Nathaniel Hackett is now trying to figure that out in addition to doing the other sort of seven things that are part of being an NFL head coach. And right now he's, you know, really struggling with that whole balance. Yeah. 
And staying in the AFC uh, West, it's probably the most surprising um, team in that division so far is the Las Vegas Raiders with their 0-3 start. And it's definitely not what Raiders fans were expecting after the big Devontae Adams trade and now bringing Josh McDaniels in as the head coach. But from what you're seeing from the Raiders this year, um, what can you sort of put your finger on in terms of where the issues are? It's very difficult to figure out. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And that, I, I think, that and the Miami Dolphins being as good as they are, are the two sort of biggest stories so far through three weeks when, you know, the Raiders offense was pretty good a year ago. And when you add up, you know, add Devonte Adams to that. And then on top of that, Matt Collins is playing really well through the first three weeks out of nowhere. Those things should not add up to what is currently being produced by this offense. It's almost impossible to envisage a scenario where you have Devonte Adams added to the group from last year and Derek Carr, and Matt Collins showing up, and you're like, well, what does that produce? It's somehow producing what we're seeing through the first few weeks. It doesn't make a ton of sense. I think there's always a little bit of difficulty in terms of a balance of trying to figure out, you know, when you force feed the ball to a guy like Devontae Adams or when you move it around to other people and how that whole dynamic works. But it's very strange right now why the Raiders' offense is not playing better than it is because even the offensive line, which is – the biggest weakness in personnel on that side of the ball, their line hasn't been atrocious. You know, it was an area where going into the season, you were saying, I love their receivers. I think Derek Carr is a good quarterback, but that offensive line could undermine all of it. If it's, if it plays badly enough, it hasn't played at that level. Like it's, it's definitely not been the reason that this whole offense has, has been dramatically underperforming. And Sam, on a, a different note, is there a player from the start of the season, your your preseason assessment, that has pleasantly surprised you? And on the flip side, has there been someone you thought was going to do really well, but is just now struggling for some reason? I mean, so far, Jalen Hurts, I think, has taken a huge step forward at quarterback for the Eagles. Uh, and that was their big question mark heading into the year. You know, they've done a lot of good things. They've really built a team in a smart way over the last few seasons but how good they could be this year was always going to come down to, you know, how good is Jalen Hurts going to be this year? Because he was good, not great a year ago. And when they got to the playoffs in particular, you know, there's just an obvious gulf in class between what Hurts is able to do and, and the legit contending quarterbacks once you get to January. But through a few games so far, he looks fantastic. I mean, he's been so much better as a passing quarterback. I think the, the addition to AJ, of A.J. Brown – um, maybe the step forward in Devontae Smith with A.J. Brown taking some of the attention away. Like Jalen Hurts has just been playing so much better as a passer, and he brings that rushing threat to the table as well. So I think he's been a real surprise. He's number one or two right now in terms of PFF grades over the course of the season, and that, like, that's an area I didn't know that he was capable of reaching before this year. Um, what do we got? Overachiever er, guys that have – underperformed relative to expectations. Um, I think, I mean, Derek Carr is probably the biggest one in terms of that position quarterback. He had like one big time throw through the first few weeks. He had nine this time a year ago. Uh, He was leading the league in big time throws for the majority of last season. And that, and that was even with, you know, lacking a a true number one or a true uh, deep threat for most of the year. I again with the Raiders, I don't quite understand why Derek Carr's performance has regressed so hard. Yeah, and then on the sort of NFC side, uh, as a maybe as a whole, and we'll we'll touch on it quickly because 
Um, the team sort of that we've expected that are probably going to be playoff containers and be right up there with the likes of the Rams, Bucks, the 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 Packers have sort of you know started slowly. Um, the Cardinals have sort of dropped off a little bit as well. And is there anything there in the AFC that is that you're that you're looking at in terms of? I guess you know that you feel could challenge if there's I know we're looking way in the future but like a Super Bowl like I, I'm not seeing anything from the NFC so far that could say that they're legitimate Super Bowl contenders yeah I, I think the thing is the AFC top to bottom is so much stronger but whoever comes out of the NFC is probably going to end up being you know a very good team that can go toe-to-toe with the best teams in the AFC the problem is like the AFC might have you know nine teams that could all qualify in that kind of category but yeah the bucks don't look as strong as they've looked in in the last couple of years but they've also been dealing with an absolute raft of injuries and you know they're getting by right now but once we get to january if the bucks have got all their wide receivers back if they've got an offensive line that's not banged up and their left tackles you know back in action donovan smith i think tom brady is still playing at a really high level and the bucks are still going to be able to cook um so i think tampa bay are still a a worthy Super Bowl kind of team. The Eagles, if they continue this run, if Jalen Hurts stays at that level, I think they look like they can take down, you know, pretty much any team in the NFL as well. I wouldn't overlook Green Bay yet, though I think that lack of receivers is a real problem for them. Maybe the thing that does stop them rivaling those other teams from uh, from the AFC. But I think there's definitely teams in the NFC that may be underachieving, but they're definitely going to be threats once they get to you know, the playoffs. And, and once you get to a one-off game, they're going to be good enough to challenge the AFC team. Yeah, and let's uh, sort of look ahead then to tonight's game. Um, of course, the Dolphins traveling to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. The Bengals finally get on the board last weekend against the Jets after going 0-2 the first two weeks. Like we mentioned earlier on, the Dolphins defying sort of expectations with a fantastic start this year. Um I guess the sort of questions coming into this game were are all about to it in terms of his, I guess his head injury that is not classed as a head injury, but we all thought it was a head injury and kind of now is a back slash ankle injury. Um, it looks as though he's gonna pass, he's gonna get through and play Thursday. But sort of your own thoughts on what happened uh, on Sunday, and then would you feel it's right that he's been able to get through now to to Thursday and play again? Yeah, it's very difficult to work out what's true and what's, you know, just being said because of the optics. Um, I I find it very difficult to believe that Tua was not exhibiting head injury symptoms when he got up and he was wobbly and he could barely stand. He was shaking his head and all those kinds of things. I think it's also entirely plausible that he was dealing with a back injury in that game at the same time. But I don't think that that explains you know, what we saw on the field. I don't think that everything he did after his head slammed off the turf can be explained by his back tightened up. And that's why he was wobbling and all that kind of stuff. Um, at which point you get into the idea of, well, if a guy is displaying obvious head injury symptoms, does it even matter that he passed the concussion protocol? Right. Which is the bottom line here. Um, and I think that rugby deals with this as well. Like there, there is no, defined concrete test for concussion the rugby has the hia stuff the nfl has the concussion protocol there isn't like a black and white test like this is the best guess of medical professionals to try and get as close as possible um but i and and guys will 
you know, they'll pass it or they'll fail it. And if you fail it, it's almost certainly a big problem. But just because you passed, I think, doesn't mean there was no issue. And in particular, I think when there's visible evidence of somebody dealing with some kind of head injury, to me, that should immediately rule them out of the game, regardless of whether they pass or fail any kind of concussion test. Um, Emmanuel Acho had this story on Twitter where he, he said that he got his bell rung in a game. He did the concussion protocol test. He passed it. And later that day, driving home from the game, he got to a street and didn't know what his, which is, was his house. So the fact that you're able to pass the concussion test doesn't necessarily mean anything with regards to head injury. Um, and then even like if you're trying to stamp this kind of thing out of the game, if you're trying to change the way we treat head injuries, it almost doesn't even matter if the back injury thing is 100% true. Like just for the optics, you should keep them out. You should pretend that it was a head injury and say, we are treating it with, a, we're going to err on the side of an abundance of caution. This looked like a head injury. We are going to assume it is. And he's got, he's done. He's not coming back into the game. So I just don't think it's, it's terrible optics and that's assuming that everything is above board, which who knows? Yeah, yeah I completely agree with you. It's something that um, it's so severe and we know so much more about it than we did maybe five years ago or 10 years ago that maybe just err on the side of caution uh, on anything that looks like a head injury. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, uh, full agreement there. Um, looking at then sort of some of the, the bigger matchups coming into this game, and you can't look past the two wide receivers for the Dolphins in, in Jalen Waddle and you know Tyreek Hill and coming up against uh, Edile Apple and probably Chidozi Awuzie, uh, um, I think it is, is going to probably mm-hmm. be the other one. Um, interesting, after the game on Sunday, Tyreek Hill calling out Eli Apple as well looking forward to this game on Thursday I'm sure it's going to be uh, it's going to be that that battle is definitely going to be something to watch out for this evening yeah the Bengals defense actually pretty good um, and probably under talked about in terms of how good it is certainly relative to their offense Um, but like the idea of putting either one of those two guys one-on-one with Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle is pretty terrifying from the Bengals point of view (laughs) Um, you know, they're going to try and take them away more by scheme and alignment than they are by, hey, you you can be covered by Eli Apple or, or Ouzier. Um, but it just always feels like if that's going to happen, um, if that's going to be a regular occurrence of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle getting single coverage against these guys, like those are plays to be had for that Miami offense. And, you know, the, the Bills are an example last week, particularly with how many guys they were down injuries that you can neutralize those players by scheme and by the coverages you're running but it's going to be nervy anytime Cincinnati is on defense because those guys are only ever you know one bad angle one bad step away from a a big play yeah Uh, and we saw on Sunday with the with the Buffalo Bills offensive line they had stroke they struggled to sort of contain that D line of Miami and sort of had Josh Allen running for uh, breaking out of pocket a lot of for that game and looking at the Bengals O line that they spent a lot of money re, um, reinforcing for Joey Burrow this offseason they sort of still failed to to gel completely it's still obviously a work in progress and it, it'll be vital for them to sort of try and get things right ahead of this game to keep uh, Burrow safe. Yeah, last week was an interesting one because. Um... 
it was the first time they ran up against a defense that wasn't bringing like an absolute superstar pass rusher to the table. The first week they got wrecked by TJ Watt. The second week they got wrecked by Michael Parsons. And that makes sense. You know, that even with the amount they spent in the off season, they don't have anybody that can block either of those guys one-on-one. The, the Jets don't really have one of those players, but they have enough on the defensive line. that can all win, you know, no superstars, but there's three or four good players that can cause problems. And they did. They still got a lot of pressure on Joe Burrow. The, the offensive line had its struggles. Burrow was able to play well enough like last year to make it work and to get it done anyway. Um, and Miami's a similar story in that they don't win because they've got a superstar. They win because they blitz a lot. Like they're one of the most blitz happy teams in the NFL. Um, and they're able to scheme up pressure in, in a clever way. And, cause problems that way you know mix it up they disguise their pressures they're they're just creative with how they're able to generate pressure so i think it's gonna be another game where joe burrow will be under pressure a lot and then the question is you know is he is he able to overcome that or is the pressure uh sort of does it take long enough to to get there where he can get out of trouble and make some stuff happen because i think there's also like a difference in the severity of pressure that comes which is some of the reasons sometimes when quarterbacks can get it done and when they can't. So, yeah, I think that's definitely maybe the most fascinating element of this game, whether Cincinnati's offense can find any kind of answer to the, the Miami uh, pressure packages. And Sam, on your side, if you're the Bengals, how are you planning to win this game on Thursday? Yeah, I, the problem with the Bengals is from a game plan standpoint, it's it's just relying on their playmakers. Like it's relying on Joe Burrow trying to make those kinds of plays happen. It's relying on Jamar Chase being able to win one-on-one against guys like Xavier and Howard. Um, Cause that's how they were doing well last year when they did so well, it was basically just wasn't anything fancy. It wasn't schematic creativity. It was just Burrow and Jamar Chase, you know, <laughs> making things happen. And that hasn't been there as much this year. And that's probably inevitable, but they're so good that it's always possible. Yeah, and just it's kind of a, a, a sneaky sort of you know miss that that we've seen from the Bengals. Um, they obviously lost CJ Osama in the off season, and he was sort of the the outlet for Burrow. You could say that if the the star receivers that he has weren't available, Osama seemed to always be there to sort of be the outlet to get them those couple of yards. Um, they they've had uh, Hayden Hurts in this year, but he hasn't been able to have that sort of um at the same sort of quality Usama has. Is is that the, the tight end position? Is that something that they've missed so far this season? Maybe a little bit, but I think a big part of that is the the issues they've been having with pressure and just everything is down across the board. And, you know, if they had the same kind of platform that they had last season in terms of Burrow making spectacular plays more often, I think you would see Hayden Hurst probably have a season closer to CJ Uzama than he's having right now. Um, but, there's a reason that Hayden Hurst is on his what third or fourth team since being a first round draft pick. Like the guy hasn't worked out. He is more of an athlete than he is a well-rounded, you know, effective NFL tight end. And, you know, that's, that's the reality of bringing in a guy like that. It's a nice move to sort of take a gamble on that kind of athletic potential, but he's probably not going to be a high end player for you. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap it up, then Sam, uh, who are you uh, who are you leaning towards winning tonight? 
Uh, I think Miami is going to get it done again. I worry about Cincinnati being able to hold up um, in the face of those pressure packages. If they cause Buffalo that many problems, I don't think Cincinnati is going to fail or fare much better. So I think Miami probably ends up getting it done even after, you know, the tough week in the heat. I just checked the handicap right there and it's minus four for the Bengals, which I think is crazy. Minus four. It's not bad. It just seems mad for me. It's not bad. It's not worth it's not worth it's worth a look. It's worth a look for sure. Um one more question then before we let you go. Um Sam, sorry. Of course the uh the London games start this week with the uh, the Vikings and and the Saints. Um over in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, what, what have um, what what? Sorry, what are you expecting from this game? And I guess it, you know, we've sort of been not unlucky, but we sort of haven't had sort of the best games that we would have wanted um, over in London the last couple of years. But the way the games are lining up and the way the teams have started this year, it looks like that we could be in for a really good series of games over in London. Yeah, what's the, so? What's the first one? It's Minnesota against the it's like Minnesota against the Saints. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. That I mean, the Vikings against the Saints is usually a pretty good game over recent years. Um, and even though neither one of those teams, I think, is going to be a contender this year, they're both sort of evenly matched in terms of where they shake out. I think in the NFC standings, like they're both good, capable teams with some flaws. So, yeah, I think that one actually shapes up to be a, a really good game to start it off with. Yeah, for sure. And then, obviously, we have the Packers and the, the Giants the week after, I believe. And then it's finally in, back to Wembley for the the Broncos and the Jaguars. So, yeah, definitely some really, really good games in store. Uh, Sam, as always, um, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us. Hope you enjoy the game later on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime, guys. Uh, and that's where we're going to wrap up this edition of the show. Jake, as always, thank you so much. Thanks, Derek. Um, if you want to listen to back to any part of the show, you can just get us on the podcast, uh, Under Center Podcast, wherever you find it. It'll be on YouTube as well, Under Center Podcast. Uh, make sure you enjoy the game later on, and we will be back next week to review week four of the season. But until then, stay safe, and we'll see you soon.